It's such a privilege to be in the house of the Lord with you again on this Sunday night. I'm going to get right into the Word. Tonight I've got probably going to be more of a, a teaching. We were talking about the importance of discipleship this morning, and I believe this is related to discipleship, that God's placed something on my heart that I want to take the time to share with you, each and every single one of you. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 3. I'm going to uh, read just a little part of this scripture, then we're going to stop. And before I'm done tonight, I will finish this scripture. But all I want you to get out of the first part is this. Jesus said, speaking to his disciples, I tell you, unless you change... That's the only part I want you to hear right now about this scripture, and we'll come to the rest of it, unless you change. What I want you to pick up on right off the beginning is he looked at his disciples. These are his disciples. And he looks at them and says, unless you change. These were men that he'd spent days with, years with. He knew everything about his disciples. And in his heart, he looked at them and said, there's some things about you that you need to change. He didn't say they need to change. There's some people who need to change. He said you. So the way that you really got to receive this message tonight, the Lord's done talk to me. You got to receive this message tonight that he's talking to you. Individually, each and every one of you in the building tonight. Now, he wasn't about just changing, talking about changing things. He wasn't saying, you guys need to change your Sunday school programs or you need to change what time you're having service on Wednesday nights. He wasn't talking to them about church operations. This was a personal thing. He was talking about them changing personally. He wouldn't tell them, you, you need to change what kind of music you're singing. He wasn't doing any of those things. He was talking about them personally and talking about their hearts. And I want us to hear what the Lord has to say tonight. Father, we come to you in the precious name of Jesus Christ, Lord. I ask you for your help tonight, Father. Help me to deliver this. Father, I ask for the anointing of your spirit, God, Lord, that as I speak tonight, God, this word would resonate in our hearts and that will help us to understand what you're wanting to speak to each and every single one of us tonight. This message is for all of us. You've spoken to me about my life, and now you want me to transfer that to these people's lives, what you're saying to the body of Christ at this time and this hour. Father, we praise you in all things, and we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. In Christ's name we say, amen. Tonight, I want to talk about change, and for a moment, I'm going to talk about it more in general and how necessary it is for you. Let me begin by asking to ask yourself, if Jesus was speaking those words to you, how would he finish that statement? Unless you changed what? What would it be that he would want you to change? You see, there was something about the disciples that Jesus wanted them to change. And when it comes to you and your life, what would he say needs to change in you about you? And what's the consequences if you don't? He told the disciples, unless they change they wouldn't even enter into the kingdom of heaven. This was serious stuff. What am I going to miss out on if I don't change? What is going to be affected if I don't change? Consider these things with me for a moment tonight. 
Is it possible that you are stuck right now today in a mindset or a heart condition and your only hope for a better life or a better relationship with God is for you to change? Is it possible while everything around you is consistently changing, perhaps maybe you are refusing to change? And while you're believing if you just had a different job or different relationship or even a different church, things would be better for you. Is it possible while you're considering those things as your answers that what God really wants for you and the real answer for you is for you to change, not your surroundings, but why owe you you? There was a story of a group of construction workers, and they said they would gather every day on the job site and they'd eat lunch together. One man every day would open his lunchbox, and he would complain about his food. Peanut butter and jelly again. Why don't I ever get anything else? And after weeks of him complaining every day about the same thing, one worker got fed up with hearing him complain every day. He says, hey, if you don't like it, why don't you tell your wife? And the man replied, what do you mean tell my wife? I fix my own lunch. See, the point is so many people would rather complain about their life instead of changing it. If you do the same old thing, you get the same old thing. And the problem is you're, you are the only one who can change it because we ourselves get stuck in our situations. Because we're unwilling to change, we want our circumstances to change, but too often we don't want to change. If you don't like yourself or your life, you've got to do something different for your life to change. Many of you are familiar with the movie called The Wizard of Oz. You know, there was Dorothy... And there was Toto, and there was the Yellow Brick Road, where she meets three characters who needed something in their life to change. Why? Because of their hang-ups, their circumstances kept them from being who they were supposed to be. And there's a lot of people today in the same conditions. I want to use these three characters to show you three reasons why we don't change, to reveal to you three things that keep us stuck in our lives to where we no longer progress. Now, if you know the movie, you'll remember there was the lion who liked what? Courage. He was spineless. And there was the scarecrow who was mindless. He had a thinking problem. Then there was the tin man who was heartless. He had no passion. So let's begin with the lion. He was a coward. He had no courage. He was a cowardly lion. Not normal. He was to be a brave. He was to be the king of the jungle. Why wasn't he? Because he was controlled by fear. Many like the lion are stuck because of fear. You should be succeeding, but instead you're failing. His fears kept him from going forward in life. Because he wasn't controlling his fears, they were controlling him, and they were holding him back. He was to be a brave lion, but instead he was a cowardly lion. Why? Because fear had gripped his heart. Though fear is different from person to person, the common thread in all of us is none of us move forward until we conquer our fears. Unless we go to a new level of courage, we can't go forward. The lion comes to find out the end of the road courage was believing in who you are. For a Christian, it comes from, from God by believing who God says that you are. In Joshua 1 9, God spoke to Joshua and said, Be strong, be of good courage, don't be afraid. Courage comes from putting your trust in God and not man, being who God created you to be, not who man has fashioned you to be. The word of God will encourage you and strengthen you. A lack of his word will produce a lack of courage. No matter what you're going through, be strong and be courageous. In order to change, there's going to be battles you need the courage to fight and to face. God would say to you, no matter what is holding you back, you can do it because I said you can. God's not giving you spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Amen? 
Fear of the unknown affects us. Fear of the inability to accomplish your task. Fear of what people think about you. Fear of failing affects us. If you're going to grow and go where God wants to take you, you've got to face your fears. Maybe you're wanting to go back to college. Maybe you want to pursue a new career, a new ministry, a new business. Whatever it is tugging at your heart, but you have something holding you back, and it's called fear. Well, let me encourage you today. Go ahead and be strong and be courageous. Live knowing you tried instead of dying because you never tried. <clears throat> then there was the scarecrow who was what? Mindless. He had a thinking problem. Reality is the same level of thinking that got you to where you are won't get you to where you need to go. You got to change your thinking, your mindset. You got to go to a new level. Mindsets are holding so many people in churches from reaching their potential. There is a story of two farmers. One farmer was an optimistic person. One farmer was a pessimistic person. <clears throat> the optimistic farmer would see the sun come up and he'd say, it's going to be a beautiful day. It's going to help our crops grow. But the pessimistic farmer would say, yeah, as long as it don't get too hot and burn up everything. Then it would rain. And the optimistic farmer would say, this is great. God has given us the rain we need. He always blesses our crops. But then there was the pessimistic farmer who said, yeah, as long as it don't rain, wash everything away and cause a flood. Well, the optimistic farmer got tired of his negative attitude, so he developed a plan to deal with his negative friend. He went and bought a beautiful bird dog. He bought the best money he could buy. It was claimed to be one of the smartest dogs on the planet as well. So he takes it, and he has it specially trained. Then he invites his pessimistic friend to go duck hunting. When they get out in the boat, the ducks fly over, they shoot several, and they fall into the water. The optimistic farmer snaps his fingers. The dog jumps out of the boat. He runs on top of the water and grabs the ducks and brings them back to the boat. The optimistic farmer, looking out of the corner of his eye, wanted to see his friend's response. Thinks, what's he going to say now, negative, after seeing something that spectacular that my dog just did? Well, the pessimistic farmer says nothing. So the optimistic farmer couldn't take it no more, and he had to ask him, well, what do you think about my dog? Well, the pessimistic farmer looked at him and says, can't swim, can he? That pessimistic man was stuck in his stinking thinking. And nobody can get anybody unstuck but the person who's stuck. And the person who is stuck has got to want to change. Negative thinking and old mindsets have got a lot of people stuck. God, God can transform your mind if you're willing to let him. Now, let's look at the tin man. Heartless. Lost his passion. You lose your passion and you won't progress any further. It's when your passion for God has been replaced with stiffness from lukewarmness and complacency. When you no longer possess the passion you had for your ministry or your job or your marriage or your relationship with God, you're no longer at that point free. You're bound. Nothing's going to change for you until you renew your passion, till you get back to what you used to do with all your heart into God. Because where you're at now, your heart's not in it anymore. Instead of passion and zeal, it's drudgery. It's not pleasure for you more. When you lose your passion, conforming takes the place of creativity. Rather than you bring something positive to a negative atmosphere, you just adapt to the negativity. Rather than you do something to help change the problem, you just sit and complain about it. You become a part of the problem instead of a part of the solution. If that's you, you need a heart change. Your home could use a change, but your heart's not in it. Your marriage needs a change, but your passion for him or her is gone. 
Your children need a change, but your heart for parenting has diminished. Your ministry could use a change. For some, you're still in it, but you have no passion for it. You've been doing it for 10 years, but five years ago, you lost your heart for doing it. You're just going through the motions now. It's a heart problem. Unless you get your passion back, you're stuck. We got ministers all over the country that are going through the motions, and I pray that I never lose my passion. I know as long as I'm willing to change, I won't. But the day I say that's far enough and settle, it will die. I've got to do all I can do to keep it alive, and it won't go any farther unless I conform at every certain level. i got to keep going and growing, and that's going to require, guess what? Change in me at every level. When I committed to this life, I did it with passion, and so did you. But the years and the circumstances have a way of taking out your passion. And no, this don't be deceived. It's not about age. It's not just because you got older. Folks, we got young people and old people alike who have passion for God. It's about continually stirring up what's inside of you. It's about renewing your love for God daily. None of you want to be married to someone who's stoic or non-affectionate, to someone who has no interest or no passion for you. And God feels the same way in your relationship with him. Matter of fact, here is what he said about it. I'd rather you be hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. He's tired of people trying to serve him out of obligation and not passion for him. That's not a relationship. Don't allow these things to keep you from changing, church. They're necessary. So how do I overcome? How do I change? There's something you have to do yourself. Change happens every day in your life. Change will impose itself upon you. It doesn't wait for you to be ready. It doesn't ask for your permission to change in your life. Ready or not, change happens even as I speak. Now let's talk about Dorothy to illustrate how in one minute your life can change. When Dorothy set out on her journey, she thought the journey was about to a better place. But the journey was actually about to a better person. The journey was not necessary to change where she was, get this, but it was necessary to change who she was. And your Kansas can be your job, your home, your relationship, or your ministry. Yes, and even your adversity can be designed to help change you anywhere in your life where you're comfortable. But the change came along, and you're not in Kansas anymore. What most people don't understand is change is a constant companion of progress. This is good stuff. Some of you ought to be writing some of this stuff down. Not all change is progress, but all progress requires change. Some people deal with change better than others. If it was up to some, we'd still be riding horses to work and we'd cook on wood stoves and burn lanterns. Matter of fact, there's still a small sector of our 21st century folks that are still doing that. But for us today to have all the modern conveniences as we do, it took a lot of change. We could not have progressed if we didn't make changes or accept changes or adapted changes. It's the same for the church. Many were fine with the way it was. But the way we got to how it is now is by progress that required change. And the only way we'll ever progress any farther is going to require, guess what, more change. And many will say, I'm comfortable right where we are. But folks, to ever experience all that God has for you in your lifetime, you got to keep progressing, and that requires constant change. Life is a journey that should only end when you reach your destination. And for believers, when we enter into the portals of glory... That's our final resting place. But do you realize many will never make that journey? Why? Because they quit. Because they stopped too soon. This is what Jesus was telling his disciples. You have a journey to make, guys. You can't quit. And if you become unwilling to change, 
You'll not make it to the end. This is why Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I've finished my course. Therefore, it's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He never quit. His life required many changes to be able to endure to the end and reach his destination. It wasn't a one road, one way journey. It had had many twists and turns for him and growing pains and personal tragedies. But he was persuaded that neither death nor height nor principality could separate him from the love of God. And he surrendered his life and said, Lord, whatever I have to do, I'll do it for you because it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it, church. It's going to be worth it all. If you say you want to progress, then expect change. We'll ask, we'll ask often, how many of you want a deeper walk with God? And many throw up their hands. Then know to do this, for it to happen is going to require change. If what you're doing is not getting you any closer to God, change what you're doing, because unless you change. If what you're doing is not drawing your spouse any closer to you, change what you're doing, because unless you change. And Jesus was telling them, unless you change, there will be consequences. You keep doing the same old, same old. You get the same old thing. We all know, we've heard this many times, the definition of insanity is doing the same old thing, expecting something different to happen. If we want to win the struggle of personal growth, we have to be willing to, to accept change. Things change all the time. But when you don't accept it, you become stuck. Today, I want to try to help you see the importance for you to change. In the world we all live in, everything around us is constantly changing and at a faster pace every day. So why do we think we aren't to change in our spiritual life or even how we have church? I feel the church has waited too long to change. What has happened instead of the church changing the world, the world is changing the church. The world moved on and progressed while the church set stalemate and not willing to change. We should be the thermostat, not the thermometer. Because the thermometer just reflects its surroundings, but the thermostat controls its surroundings. And it's time for the church to become influential in the changes to come for our society. Now, I want to talk about a few things in your season of change, how you can thrive. Not barely just hanging on, but how to thrive in a season of change. And number one is don't get stuck in a time or season of your life. Times are changing, so change with the times. What was is not. What is yesterday's excellence is today's mediocrity. Yesterday's peacock is today's feather duster. Know what I mean? See, God's into new things. If you want to experience God in the present, you can't linger in the past. If you're one of those persons who, when people try to dialogue with you, in fact, you may not even notice that you do this. If when people try to talk to you and you continually bring up the past, your response is always, I remember back when, I remember 20 years ago, always giving a date. Well, back in 1963, then you're one of the people this word is for. You could be stuck in a time and season of your life. And God wants to say to you, that was then, this is now. Isaiah 43 18, God said, behold, I do a new thing, and now it shall spring forth. God ought to be doing something new in your life. Now, worth talking about now. If he isn't, it's because you're not allowing him to do something in your life. If all you're ever talking about is the past and nothing's happening in your present. You're living off yesterday's manna experiences. And somewhere along the way, you placed your life in neutral. And you've quit progressing, therefore missing out on what all God has for you. Let me tell you what Paul said about neutral. He says there is no neutral. He says you're either going forward or you're going backwards. Are you living off the memories of an experience, of an event, or an era of time that you constantly talk about? And you're still talking about in 1970? 
when you should be talking about how you got blessed last Sunday night. And if you didn't get blessed last Sunday night, why not? It'd probably be safe to say you didn't get involved. And God is wanting to do something new in your life right now. He don't want you going around talking about him like he's simply a God of the past. And the reason you don't have any experiences to talk about today is because you're stuck in a time or a season. You may, you may remember when the church was just 25 people. But he wants you to experience what it's like with 700 people in here. He's got new things he wants to do in our very midst. He says, I'm not moving like I used to when there's only seven. He says, because there's more of you. And the more diverse you are, the more diverse I can be. He says, quit describing me like I was powerful, like I used to move, saying, I remember God used to come down. And God is saying, I'll have you know I'm a God who never sleeps, nor do I slumber. I'll have you know the only thing that's changed is how you receive me. And if you'll make me first again in your life, you'll get a touch of something you've never experienced before. Hallelujah. Make sure you don't get stuck in a time or season of your life. We sit around and tell our children about past experiences that we had with God 20 years ago, but have nothing to say about experiences we're having today. Why? Maybe because we're not having them. <laughs> and it sounds to them, by the way you describe it, so far back in the past that it must be too late for them to experience what you did. Why? Because you're describing your experience in God like they were of the past, like something that's over with. You know, like when you're telling them about 25 cents a gallon gas. It used to be, but not no more. That was years ago. They can't get gas for that now. So they feel they've missed out. It was the past. It's over. They missed that. It's the same when you say, I remember when God used to. And you have no current experiences to tell them about. What else can they think? But they missed out on it. Why? Because you always talk about in the past tense. And you have to talk in the past tense because you're having no present experiences. You know what they need to hear? They need to hear mom and dad say, last night while I was praying, son, the spirit of God fell on me and the glory of the Lord filled my bedroom. Or I was sick and they laid hands on me at the church this morning and I've never felt better in my life. Not just, I can remember 20 years ago going to a camp meeting. Or you're getting this, don't get stuck. And the only way to keep from is be willing to change. And then realize change is supposed to happen. The reason I'm bringing this out is when change happens, most people assume something is wrong. Ever, ever heard this? Well, what was wrong with how we used to do it? What was wrong with the one we had? Change not always an indicate something is wrong. In fact, it's more so the opposite. It more often allows you an opportunity for something new or better to happen in your life. If there is no change, that's when you need to get concerned. We're selfish in change too often. If it benefits us, we accept it better. But if your changing is necessary to benefiting others, you're more reluctant. If there is no change, you're not progressing, you're not improving. You're still doing the same old, getting the same old. That's not good. It's not how it's supposed to be. We are a work in progress. We're supposed to be moving forward. As I said earlier, according to Paul, if you're not going forward, you're, you're going backwards. You're losing ground. He told them some of you should be teaching by now. But they weren't willing to make the necessary changes in their life so they could change and grow. How many of you have ever went to a hospital to visit a loved one who's severely sick or severely injured? What's the first thing usually you ask about them? 
Has there been any change? What's the first thing you look for? Is there any change, improvement, or progress in their life? Why? Because you know for the current condition to improve, there's got to be a change. There's got to be a change for them to get better, a change for them to go forward. But what if the doctor was doing for them what he was doing for them wasn't working? It was keeping them from improving. Wouldn't you want him to try to do something different? Why? Because what he was doing isn't working. It's producing no result. And if he doesn't, what's the consequences? Death. Life ends. What if he tries something different and they still die? At least they died trying. Instead of dying for not trying. Come on, somebody. That's why you feel so dead. You aren't trying nothing. If you're not moving, you're going to become like water. It remains still too long. Stagnant. And what does stagnant water produce in our lives? Pestilence. In other words, you're going to get stagnant, spiritually speaking, and it's going to produce pestilence in your life where every little thing is going to start bothering you. Services are too long. So-and-so didn't shake my hand. I don't like those kind of songs. It's too cold in here. It's too hot in here. Why are they always changing stuff? Now, let me ask you a question. How many notice the leaves of the trees change colors throughout the year? Did they change in the fall from green to bright colors to red to yellow to orange? Have you also noticed it doesn't cause a major panic when they do? People aren't getting beside themselves when they do. They're not calling up their neighbors. Oh, my goodness, get what's taking place in my backyard. How about your trees? Are they okay? Anyone ever got a call like that from someone? Or they call and say, as I was driving on the way home today, you won't believe what we saw. I bet there was at least 50 trees turning orange and yellow. They're not even green anymore. Does anybody get stricken by panic attack when this happens? Why not? The reason they change colors is there's no longer circulation getting to the leaves, and the leaves are literally dying. Hey, don't any of y'all even care? They're dying, folks. They're falling off trees. That's horrible. How can you laugh and joke about something like this happening? Because it's supposed to happen. We know the change is necessary. We know the seasons are changing. And with every new season, we know there is what? A change required. And we actually enjoy the beauty of the change. Folks, even go on road trips to see the colorful trees. Many look forward to seeing these changes every year. Fall is a beautiful time of the year. Some believe there's no prettier time of the year. When things begin to look different, they're doing what? They're changing. Fall is changing from summer, and even though we see the leaves turn colors and die, we don't get too concerned because we know there's a new life on the way. We know there's a season has ended, but there's a new one starting. Then winter comes, things look barren, gloomy, but then spring comes and we get all excited again because the flowers are blooming, the trees are budding, everything's turning to green. These changes have been going on since the beginning of time. And we understand and we accept the fact that it's necessary and it's supposed to happen. God has never stopped it from happening. It's an ongoing change. The seasons of this world always change. And know this, some summers are hotter than others, some winters are colder than others, some seasons are drier than others, some seasons are wetter than others, with all this change going on in nature. Why can't we accept in our lives be willing to change as well? Change is supposed to happen because it's a part of God's plan in each of our lives. And unless you change, there'll never be a new season in your life. And it'll require dying out to yourself to change. Recognize change as an opportunity for personal growth. Tell you a little story quickly of a young boy who was outside one day and he finds a cocoon. 
He picked it up and noticed something inside it moving. He noticed inside the cocoon, the caterpillar was changing and trying to break out, trying to get free of the cocoon. So the little boy thought he'd help him out. So he ran into the house, grabbed a pair of scissors, and he carefully began to snip on the cocoon, thinking if he did this, he would free the butterfly in all its beauty. But something different happened. When the cocoon was opened prematurely, the butterfly fell onto the ground, not flying as he thought it would. You see, what the little boy didn't realize was that the butterfly was in the process of change, that the metamorphosis of going from a caterpillar to being a butterfly was happening, that the butterfly should have been pushing against the cocoon, that it was a necessary thing that was happening, that there was a struggle that had to occur. In the process, the butterfly would push and push towards its future life, a future life that was not yet. He had to go through a process first. Knowing I'm a caterpillar today, but I'm going to be a butterfly one day when I get through this process. I'm stuck right now, but I'm going to fly one day. It was in that process of struggle and the metamorphosis of the transition that the wings of the butterfly would become stronger and stronger and well-developed. Until at some point, at the right timing, at the right hour, when the process was finished, come on somebody, when the struggle was over, the butterfly would be strong enough to push that cocoon open and fly into an entirely new life. And some of you are going through the same things in this process of life. And the struggles are necessary in the process to make us stronger. Yet too many times we just want to get out of the process just as fast, the struggle just as fast as we can get out of it. Often we want it prematurely. Therefore, too often aborting changes that are necessary for you to progress. You try to do things prematurely and you'll find out like the little boy did, you won't be strong enough to fly into your future. Stay in the struggle. Keep pushing because beyond the struggle is the new life, is the new place, the new death that God wants to take you. Don't abort what God is trying to do in your life. Fight the fight. Endure the struggle. You and I have our transition periods in our life. We have them in our jobs. We have them in our marriages and our, and our families and our ministries. One season will end and we'll enter into another season of transition. Here's what happens in life. We go from diapers to kindergarten to being teenagers to dating, to working, to being married, to being parents, to being grandparents, to being great-grandparents, back to diapers. These are all different seasons. They all require transition and change. From it, be, from it being just you and him to you and them, back down to just you and him. Transition is always, isn't, isn't always easy. It often comes through struggle. It takes adapting to new ideals and methods and environments and relationships. This is how it is for a lot of us. From ending one season, transitioning to a new season, to birthing something new in our lives. We must continue to change in order to grow and grow in order to progress. You know, you went one day from being just 18 inches long, 7 pounds, to 6 foot 4, 250 pounds. And the only way you did this was through the process of your body changing by eating too many McDonald's Whoppers. And if you don't like being 250 pounds, the only way you won't, be, you won't be will require what? Change. The season of your struggle is the opportunity for you to develop and grow and mature. It's an opportunity for you to get better and stronger. It's an opportunity for your faith to grow to a greater level. It's then your confidence in God grows stronger than it's ever been. The writer says in Scripture, it's a testing of your faith that work is patience. It's the time of the trial in your life. It's a season of your life. 
It's the fire of your life. It's walking through that unpleasant time when you're pushing against the struggle. It's that season of your life and transformation is taking place. And during that season, you don't understand it. You don't understand why it has to happen like this. It's in that season you have the opportunity to embrace the change and accept it by saying, I know God is in control and I put my trust in him. Believing there is a new season around the corner of my life past this struggle. This struggle is going to change me from a caterpillar to a butterfly, from crawling to flying, from ugly to beautiful, from being weak to being strong. And then think of change as a constant companion of progress. All change doesn't bring progress, but all progress brings change. Change is taking place every day in the workforce, in our laws, in our government, in our schools. Change we have no control over, but we eventually adapt to and we go on. But when it comes to personal change that we control, we often refuse to change. We plant our feet in the ground and say, this is far enough. Therefore, limiting our personal growth or our spiritual growth. Aborting the opportunities and experience that would have brought great growth and maturity to our lives. Necessary for us to be fulfilled and to reach our God-given destinies. It's true many people leave this world never being all they could have been for the kingdom of God. The changes would have required certain things, but in return would have accomplished certain things. There's callings on people's lives, but know this, it's contingent upon if you're willing to do what is required for you to fulfill the call, which I assure you is going to require change in your life. Change, but require nothing of us. Change, but always want an easy transition. We want to be in better health without changing our unhealthy habits. We want a better marriage without changing our communication styles. There was a church advertising church like it used to be. Unfortunately, a lot of people think that's what God wants. That's not what God wants. God's into new things. Same message, but new methods. Life on this planet, as we know, it will never out-progress the plan of God. Like God has some old, outdated plan for our lives. God isn't trying to keep up the times, folks. He created time. He's not caught off guard by what's going on. He knew the world was going to be progressive. In the Bible, some 200 to 250 times, God used the word new. Many times saying, sing a new song. People do, though. Human nature wants to go back. When God had delivered them out of 400 years of bondage, there was a time they considered wanting to go back. When God was trying to take them to the land of promise, you know what they ended up doing? They didn't go back, yet they didn't reach their promised land either. They sat in one place, stuck, until they literally died off. And the next generation, the new generation, reached the promised land. Do you realize what they missed out on? The same thing many of us are missing out on today. Your land of promise, your destiny. You've just settled, thought about going back, but never have thought much about going forward. The Israelites wandered in their wilderness because they were rebellious and stiff-necked and unwilling to change. The world is a mess, but God is even prepared for that. He said, where sin doth abound, much more will my grace abound. He prepared for no matter how bad sin gets down here, his grace will always succeed it. How come we're so creative in the natural, always trying to come up with new ideals or a better way, but when it comes to the spiritual, we're clueless? There's too many of us that haven't had a new ideal concerning ministry in 10 years. We've got to open up our minds and hearts for what God has for us today. Expect God to do new things, greater things in your life. And then lastly, stay positive about change because your attitude about change will determine its benefit to your life. The children of Israel were in Egypt, stuck in bondage. They wanted to be free. 
They prayed to God that he'd do something new in their life. He heard their prayers and he answered, sent Moses to lead them out of bondage into the promised land. Sounded great at first, but you know what the greatest thing God had to deal with during their transition from bondage to the promised land? It was their negative attitude. It was their negative thinking. They murmured and they complained every step of the way. Began to even say, I liked it. I liked it how it used to be. I liked the food like it was. I like the preaching like it was. I like the music like it was. I like, I like to, I, I, I want to go back. And they would cry and they say, I want to go back. And here is God trying to take them to the greatest blessing of their life. These people had done forgot what going back really meant. And so have people today. To think they'd rather go back to a life of bondage is profound. When the promised land was before them, not behind them. Their profound actions tells us something about emotional and sentimental attachments and how powerful they can be. Stay positive in times of change. Don't get negative. Quit saying, I'd like to go back. Solomon, the wise man, said in Ecclesiastes 7.10, Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it's not wise to ask such questions. You can't dwell in the past and progress. We're changing, and we must keep changing, and we must accept change and be willing to change personally. The Wizard of Oz was basically about a girl on a road and a lion, and a scarecrow, and a tin man, who were not who they were supposed to be because they lacked courage, passion, and were bound by mindsets. But, but, but because they were willing to go forward and follow the yellow brick road put before them to go through the process, it led them to be in a better person. Their journey wasn't about going to a better place. It was about changing them to be a better person. In doing so, their dreams were fulfilled. Dorothy, if you remember the movie, when she woke up, you see how the experiences changed her. Her mindset was changed. She found courage, and her passion was alive again. What the scarecrow and the lion and the ten men find at the end of their journey? That everything that they ever needed to be, who they were supposed to be, was already within them. They just hadn't discovered it. And it didn't until they went through the process of change. Because they had settled due to the circumstances in their lives, and because they were unwilling to change, they remained in their conditions for many, many, many years. Because of fear, mindsets, and a lack of passion wouldn't allow them to experience everything they were supposed to be. Now, Jesus was talking to his disciples. I told you I'd finish this scripture. And he told them, unless they change and be like little children, You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And here is the main point I wanted to make tonight when we're talking about changing things in our life. Because Jesus said, unless you change, you change. Not the things around you. Not the things around them he wasn't telling them. He knew everything about them. He just got done dealing with them about what they wanted to know. You know what they wanted to know before he gave them, told them, said these words to them? Who's going to be the greatest in heaven is what they wanted. And upon them saying that, then came this response and told them unless they change. Jesus was dealing with their character. That's what Jesus is really wanting to deal with, our character. There were things he's seen in his disciples' life that needed to change. And he told them, unless they become like little children. So that tells me he was dealing with their character. You know why? Because how are little children? 
Not children, little children. Little children are pure in their worship. You see a little child worship, it's so pure. Little children are pure in their prayer. They're very sincere. You see a little child pray, he is so sincere. And most generally, he's not praying for himself. He's usually praying for mommy and daddy or a brother or a sister. How are little children? They're so forgiving. They don't hold grudges. I got nine grandchildren, and they'll get to fighting, and they don't like each other, not going to be their friend no more. Five minutes later, they're playing together. They done got past it. They're loving. Little children are so loving. They don't see color. They just love. And Jesus was referencing little children to the disciples and said, unless you change, become like these little children. In other words, there's some things in their lives that they needed to change unless they come to a place in their life with these things that are on the inside of them, these things we think sometimes are so small. God wants us to deal with these things. Because when we deal with these things, it brings about true change and true transformation in our lives. There was something about their character, something about their behavior, something about their attitudes that wasn't pleasing to God. And he told them unless they changed, there would be consequences, even possibly as severe as they would miss heaven. And sometimes we have these little flaws. We all have flaws. All of us have flaws. But sometimes there's these little flaws, and they become fatal flaws. I read an article one time. They built this bridge and out where my sister lives, out around Seattle or Tacoma, Washington. It was a landmark. It was fabulous. This bridge, they flew in from all over the world. Engineers wanted to see how they built this bridge. It was the greatest thing. And they had a big ceremony to open up. Well, that day, they were driving the cars across the bridge. A wind came up, a 30-mile-an-hour wind, and the bridge collapsed right before their eyes. What happened to this bridge? This world marvel, what happened to this bridge? Well, after they surveyed it and found out and did analysis, what happened? They found there was a little crack in the bridge that never was dealt with. And then when pressure was applied... It gave. And that's what God was saying to these disciples and saying to us. There's these things in our life, our attitudes, our behaviors, the things that we do that we don't really deal with those things. We're not willing to change. We think it's just okay. But if you're not careful, those little things, it's the little foxes that destroy the vines. It's those little things in our lives. If we don't deal with those little things, they could be, end up becoming fatal things. That could actually destroy your marriage. They could destroy your career. They could destroy your ministry. And these are the Jesus' disciples. He knew everything about these men. He spent a lot of time with them. And he looked at them. They just got done. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Jesus, I got something I got to say to you guys. Unless you change and become like little children, you may never even see the kingdom of heaven. It's that serious the things that we're not willing to change, the things we're not willing to deal with. If our musicians would come and would you stand?